This is a great moment to unpack this topic because indeed we have reached or we have achieved a milestone. Welcome to today's Jolt. It's the 17th of January. I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Coming up in today's show is a look at a world first in climate policy. Switzerland and Thailand have completed the first ever transfer of emissions credits under the Paris Agreement. Stay tuned for more details on what that actually means. First, though, let's take a look at the climate and energy stories making headlines around the world. Security risks in the Red Sea continue to disrupt global energy trade. Many LNG ships have now changed course to avoid the Suez Canal, and there are no tankers heading for the passage. Yemen's Houthi rebels have carried out a string of attacks on commercial shipping, and claim that they will expand their operations. To make matters worse for the energy sector, Bloomberg reports that insurers have stopped providing conflict cover for any ships linked to the US, UK and Israel. Even Chevron CEO Michael Wirth warned that the tensions pose a very real risk to oil flows and prices. On Monday, we brought you the news that Swedish battery maker Northvolt is getting nearly 1 billion euros in state aid from Germany. The firm isn't done quite yet, though, and yesterday confirmed that it has raised an additional $5 billion in equity to fund its expansion plans. Northvolt intends to use the money to develop its first gigafactory even further and to add a recycling centre to its operations. The company hopes that this injection of capital will help make it easier to make faster progress on a backlog of nearly $55 billion of placed orders for batteries. A couple of the European Union's green-themed laws are closer to seeing the light of day. Members of the European Parliament's Energy Committee voted in favour of a recently broked deal on building renovations, meaning that there are now only a couple of hurdles left for it to navigate. And negotiators are gearing up for important talks on a proposed Net Zero Industry Act. Two rounds of negotiations are scheduled for next week in the beginning of February. Prep is now ongoing, and there are hopes that a final deal can be struck sooner rather than later. The United Kingdom's main opposition party, Labour, has revealed its plans for energy and climate policies if a general election later this year goes its way. As part of a Clean Power by 2030 pledge, Labour will aim to quadruple offshore wind, triple solar power, and double onshore wind. The party will also back new nuclear in the form of small modular reactors. I'll link to the full document in the show notes so you can check out Labour's pledges for yourself. New Zealand's government revealed how it will charge drivers of electric cars to use the country's roads. Road user charges for battery electric cars will be 76 New Zealand dollars, around 42 euros, per 1,000 kilometres driven. It means that EVs will pay nearly double the charges that a like-for-like petrol car pays. Even with fuel taxes factored in, e-mobility will pay an unfair premium, say green activists. Germany will test whether its rail network's overhead power lines can be used to relieve the national electricity grid. As more renewables come online and grid constraints start to bite, solutions have to be found. If the test is successful, then the rail network could be used to transport not just passengers and freight, 
but also green electrons from the windy north to the energy-hungry industrial south. The European Parliament's Transport Committee backed a resolution that bangs the drum of electric-powered aviation. MEPs said that e-planes could bolster urban and regional air links, as well as significantly reducing CO2 and noise pollution. The resolution, which is linked in the show notes, isn't binding, but it does show that there is political interest in the technology. And in my homeland, the largest ever load transported by truck in Wales made its way very, very slowly along streets and motorways in the dead of night. A gigantic electricity transformer, weighing nearly 600 tonnes, was hauled by a fleet of trucks to its destination. It's the first of three abnormal loads that will make the 60-kilometre journey from Newport Docks to a nearby power station. A generator and turbine also have to make the same trip. When up and running, they'll provide backup power during peak demand hours. If you'd like to see the sheer scale of these components in action, I've linked to a video in the show notes. That's it for your news updates today, more tomorrow. But now it's time for a closer look at the story of the moment. The Paris Agreement on Climate Change includes rules that will allow countries to trade carbon offsets with each other. Emission reductions made in one country can be transferred to another one in order to help everyone meet our joint climate targets. It's a complex bit of climate accounting that COP negotiators in particular have lost a lot of sleep over in the past in order to make it a reality. Now we have the first official use of the so-called Article 6 rule, as Switzerland and Thailand have completed a bilateral deal involving e-buses. Let's dive into what this actually involves. Switzerland is a big proponent of this sort of climate cooperation. In order to neutralise Swiss emissions that haven't been slashed by renewable energy or reduced fossil fuel use yet, the Alpine Republic has opted to buy carbon offsets from Thailand, which have been generated by a programme that is replacing Bangkok's old buses with new electric models. Essentially, Switzerland pays a load of cash, and the emissions actually saved in Thailand are accounted for on its books instead. I spoke with Yves Tam, a climate policy advisor and founder of Climate Principles, about the partnership and how it fits into wider green thinking. I think this is a great moment to unpack this topic because indeed we have reached or we have achieved a milestone. This all is about how we work under the Paris Agreement. And under the Paris Agreement, it's the governments that have taken on climate targets that they have established themselves. And if they want to, they can use carbon markets under the Paris Agreement to then help achieve these climate targets or ideally even uh, increase the ambition of their climate targets. So that's the reasoning why this why this mechanism is being used. Uh, this markets article is called Article 6 in the Paris Agreement. Uh, the 6.2 is operational and that's why we saw this first of a kind, of a kind transfer between um, Switzerland and Thailand. But there is actually uh, quite a lot of activity in this space. The other countries who have also signed up memorandums of understandings uh, with other developing countries are Singapore, Kuwait, Sweden, Norway, and South Korea. But I would say Switzerland has been one of the 
leading countries who started very early and was, I think, to a large extent, setting the stone. And then there's a long list of developing countries who are involved in different deals. So, I mean, even with Switzerland themselves, I, they have uh, deals with more than 10 countries, right? So this is just a start. But the huge importance is that we can we now have shown that it works, that, that, that we are beyond just establishing legal frameworks in countries on how these this international carbon markets will be implemented. We are now actually getting to the point where countries are doing the transfers and they are doing it in a proper way so that uh, these carbon credits are not double counted. And this is exactly what happened between Thailand and Switzerland. The Click Foundation represents Switzerland's motor fuel importers and is responsible for buying the carbon credits. Vicky Janssen, Click's Southeast Asia General Manager, explained to me how the partnership with Thailand works and why it's a robust way of generating emissions reductions around the world. There are, I think, challenges that are linked to different uh, contexts. One, the first one is general challenges, just because this Article 6.2 under the Paris Agreement, it's still actually quite new. There are not that many examples out there. And then we're trying really to ensure the high, high quality standards. So, so these are challenging in itself. And then, of course, you have challenging that are, uh, challenges that are more specific to to Thailand. So to, to come back to those general one, what do we do to, to be able to ensure those high quality standards and that are challenging. So we have to meet both criteria from the Article 6.2 of the Paris Agreement. And then also there's a strict evaluation and verification of procedures by both countries that are involved in that context, Switzerland and uh, Thai, uh, Thailand and their governments. And then all of this must be validated, verified by different independent bodies, so not the same one for, for both. And additionality, of course, must be demonstrated, but on two different levels. So first one on financial level, it must be really proved that without the additional financing from this carbon revenue from the ITMOs, the International Transfer Mitigation Outcome or, or carbon credits is similar, is needed to make this mitigation activity, the, the program that we're talking about, financially viable. So this is very crucial. And then the other additionality, it's on the national level. In the explicit case of Thailand, it's mean we have to make sure that the, prog the, the sector, the programs that we're uh, working on is additional to Thailand's unconditional NDC, the nationally determined contribution, that it goes be beyond it. Typically, for, for Article 6, we would pick projects, programs that are uh, more challenging to achieve, that uh, are more expensive uh, because it's new, innovative technologies, and then the, the, the host partner country, Thailand, can look at more uh, projects from lower price or that are a little bit uh, more low-hanging fruits. And then you have methodologies for, for, for measuring those reductions of emissions that needs to be approved also by uh, independent third-party validator, and then highest uh, you know, human rights and environmental standards need to be set. And the activity is also not just focusing on the, the, the mitigation activity. We also want to ensure uh, that there are other co-benefits, benefits for, for the country, and then that we're contributing to achieve uh, SDGs, international sustainability goals, et cetera. However, as we all know, carbon offsets do come with a lot of baggage unverified schemes and even official programs that have fallen short of expectations have tarnished the very concept's reputation. 
Delia Berner, an international climate policy expert at Allianz Sud, a group focused on international cooperation and development, has serious concerns about the scheme. Um, I think in the case of um, Switzerland, um, Switzerland with its climate policy that it actually heavily relies on um, offsetting abroad is rather a, a bad example because in Switzerland there would be um, a lot of technical ways to to reduce emissions in Switzerland. Um, of course, Swiss people also would need to change their behavior, etc. Um, but instead, Switzerland is actually now um, yeah, setting a lot of with these deals um, with a dozen of countries. And now this Bangkok deal, that's a, that's the first example that I studied now with the, the official documentation that is, is online. That's quite a complex report. And I actually, like my analysis shows that in my opinion, it does not meet an, one of the crucial criteria, which is additionality. The program, it needs to prove that this investment, it's, it's about investment in electric buses in Bangkok, and it needs to prove that is, this investment would not have taken place anyway, and actually until 2030, because the program runs until then. If this investment would have taken place anyway, this would be problematic, because, I mean, the, these certificates, they're only allowed to, to be sold, and um, if they generate additional emission reductions, compared to what would have happened, happened anyway. The program claims that there is a price difference between electric buses and conventional buses. And so that's their core argument, that the, the program is actually closing a financial gap because otherwise um, they claim that bus operators would rather invest in new conventional buses than in new electric buses. However, what is already really intransparent in is that they don't disclose this price difference in their in their documentation they don't tell us they um they basically say that's a private information in their private contract whereas i think that should be an objective information or based on an objective calculation that we would need to to see um they provide their own analysis why this investment would not have taken place of course but i think this analysis um, misses at least two important aspects First, it does not take into account all existing policy of the Thai government. Actually, the Thai government already made plans back in 2016 to electrify the whole bus sector in Bangkok. And second, their analysis does not take into account the longer term benefits of such an investment for the investing company Energy Absolute, because Energy Absolute is a big green tech company. Actually, they have kind of the, the whole value chain of electric buses. They produce um, renewable energy, they produce batteries, charging stations, electric vehicles and electric buses. And so it's quite clear that, the, I mean, if they um, consider such an investment that these aspects would also need to be taken into account. Eve also weighed in on where these offset programs really have to tread carefully. It is really up for two countries to decide between themselves, what kind of uh, projects they want to be involved in, what kind of standards or methodologies do they want to use in doing these transactions. And there are, I mean, there are some very broad rules, but I mean, there's so much flexibility in this. It, it would benefit from quite a bit more harmonization. And uh, I think many stakeholders were hoping that this 
other mechanism under the Paris Agreement, Article 6.4 mechanism that uh, will be run by the UN and will be fully centralized and all the rules for methodologies will be will be very robust, hopefully, that this will show the way, will establish kind of the, the, the main standards that is going to be acceptable on this international level. But that is not yet operational, so it doesn't have an impact. It doesn't have the rules, and hence the governments can still do or establish trades as they want. And indeed, the, the questions around transparency here are are going to be out there. Of course, we have to hope that, that the countries also want to do their best and they want to stand up for scrutiny. So hopefully we'll, we'll have... Uh, more and more clarity into these deals have as we move along but there are also some specific elements on article 6.2 that have not been agreed that will that would add to the transparency so hopefully we will get to that point eventually i think then that the best way to sum up this particular issue is that it has the potential to be a really good idea so long as it's done really well maybe once the un centralized body is up and running these doubts over additionality and high standards will be banished. It's the first time this has been done, remember, so there's inevitably going to be teething problems. If you'd like to hear more about this topic, let us know down in the contributions section. This, of course, was only a taste of this story, far from a full picture. So if you're interested, let us know, and maybe we can dig a little deeper into the issue in the future. Thanks for joining me for today's Jolt. Kira will be back tomorrow with another episode, so tune in then. In the meantime, be sure to have a listen to 2024's first episode of What Matters, which is a special joint edition with our other podcast, The Policy Dispatch. I join David, Jan and Michaela to take stock of 2023 and look ahead to what's happening this year. Thanks to everyone behind the scenes at Foresight for helping to make the job possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the jolt. Thank you.